Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Wednesday morning, the 14th of February. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Use it or lose it, as the expression goes. And in Drada, Marks and Spencer says not enough people use the Lawrence Centre. So it has decided to close its shop permanently. The decision will terminate the employment of 57 staff. 38 of them are full-time employees. It is a very dark day for those who are about to be laid off. MS will close its doors on the 8th of March. There is also concern now though about the future of the shopping centre. It's losing its anchor tenant and MS isn't just saying that there's too few customers shopping in the Lawrence Centre. It's also criticising the state of the building itself, saying significant investment is required. Local Fine Gael TD, Fergus O'Dowd joins us now. Good morning to you, Fergus O'Dowd, and thanks for taking the time to be with us. The Lawrence Centre is in the heart of Drogheda town. This really is a, a blow to trade in Drogheda, isn't it? Very much so. As you rightly point out, the people who are going to lose their jobs, 57 of them, majority full-time, it's very serious for them. They've given over 20 years service to the town. It's a very important facility and shopping centre um, I agree that certainly the exterior of it, particularly, you know, it, you know, it, it looks pretty bad on the north side. The, the, the footpaths in terrible condition. Part of the the wooden the wooden surrounds of some of the uh, shop fronts are, are rotten on the outside. They're just mock shop fronts, but it does look bad. There's no doubt about it. Clearly, it is a blow, uh, and I'm very surprised in one sense because. The town is growing at a phenomenal rate, not just Drogheda, but Eastmead. There's going to be, in about 10 years' time, to be 20,000 additional people living in North Drogheda. So as regards their statement about the, you know, there not being enough basis for their, for their business, I think that's clearly not true. Uh, I point out in their, in their statement, they talk about their new arrangement with Apple Green, and they've opened, they're opening three new food stores on motorways. The first one was opened in, in Limerick recently. And it looks like their strategy is changing and they're moving out the centre of our town. And we'll find them now on the motorways and in, in the apple greens around the country. Mm. And that is very much to be regretted. The other point, Michael, is that, you know, uh, 
people would be very angry that it's gone because, as you rightly say, uh, it is. It, they provide excellent food and, and clothes and service to the people. Uh, children's clothes, everything is there. And what or who will come in to take their place is a very serious issue. And clearly, we need to look at the rates uh, for these premises in the centre of the town. The planning in many, many towns has moved from the centre of those towns to the outskirts and we're becoming an unsustainable uh, living uh, town and cities right around the country because if you don't have a car, you can't go there. And shopping and other facilities for people who don't have cars uh, you know, are, are going to be very expensive and they're a lesser choice for them. What about the roof? Uh, I mean, people will remember the flooding in Marks and Spencer's. There was a lot of rain that day, yes, but yeah, was, uh, yeah. not enough rain to cause the kind of flooding uh, that we saw uh, in a high street shop. Uh, it, it was beyond belief. It was like a, a river flowing through the shop at, at one stage. Uh, buckets looked ridiculous trying to stop the water. Uh, has that been repaired? Well, I, I don't know the answer yeah. to that, but clearly the staff uh, rose to that occasion and made every effort to stay open and to protect the stock and provide the excellent, friendly, professional service they always had. I think because it's a private company, they can make these decisions. But what we need to do as a town is to look again at the rates of these properties in the centre of town because they are losing business because people are shopping on the outside. Mm. Uh, that's one thing we could do. Uh, the second thing we must do is is obviously get somebody else to come in. And there are many other, obviously, uh, potential shops that yeah. might come in there. May and or may not. W- I mean, that's the, yeah, that, that, that's the fear, the, obviously, yeah. isn't it? Because no, without, no, without the anchor tenant in a shopping centre, you haven't got a shopping centre. That's absolutely correct. That is absolutely true. And nothing is truer than it's lost its main anchor tenant there. Now, Boots are still there and there are other shops mm, there. Mm, shops, but a lot yeah, of them yeah. are still empty, Michael. Mm. And it's, there's always been a challenge, uh, you know, say 15, 20 years ago when we had the, 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 the two new shopping centres in the town, whether that was wise or not. Mm. But that, that was the planning decision then. But what we need is an infrastructure as well. Everywhere you go in Drogheda, you're surrounded by cars. There's, you know, as you know, if, if you go up Trinity Street, you might take half an hour to get out of there. Yeah. Our town is choked with traffic, and we don't, while we have an improved public transport system, it isn't adequate. Mm. Uh, and as we grow and grow and grow, and clearly we need the houses, there's nowhere for people to go yeah. except to go to shopping outside of the town. And that is against uh, that is against what we should be doing. So we need... Uh, much more efficient public transport, yeah. and you know, the, 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 you know, these are. Well, you have less need, need for change. transport if you had shops in the centre of town uh, as well. But if they're going to move out there, of course, that argument holds up. Uh, shoppers in Marks and Spencers tell me they've been running the shop down, or at least that's the perception that some have. They say the uh, shelves have been poorly stocked for ages. Cardboard, yeah. cardboard yeah. on shelves where uh, there was uh, no products, uh, stuff that had always That's been true. there wasn't uh, available uh, and uh, this has come as no surprise really because they seem to have wanted to get out for a long time. Well Michael, you're absolutely right. I think that Brexit's impact on Marks and Spencer's offering, particularly on the food, has been, has been significantly reduced since Brexit. And it's a factor right around all their stores uh, because they couldn't get, you know, uh, certain products into their stores because of the Brexit issue. Uh, they never, they never restocked and they never mm. replaced that. So yes, the choice has been reducing, 
And clearly, I don't know if it, it, this is timed in relation to their lease or whatever. I don't, I don't know mm. the answer to that. Do you think that but, people but might we, have been boycotting uh, Marks and Spencers because of uh, their links to Israel? Um, I, I can't answer that, Michael. Um, I, I don't know the answer to that question. But I do know that, you know, any time I've been there, it's always been busy. And, um, you know, people need to people need to get good value for money. And people obviously were getting good value for money there. Mm. And the offer has changed and isn't as good as it was. And I think we need to... I know that the Westgate vision is in hand now for Drogheda. The money was granted in 2018, but this year at least we have a plan for significant new development in the derelict part of our town uh, over in Westgate, which is an appalling dereliction there. And the council intend to spend a significant millions of, of money there, which the government will give them for their plans. And they've applied to improve significantly uh, the town centre and traffic at that point. But we still have buildings in the centre of our town that are falling down. Mm. There are developers and people who own property who are letting it rot and Mm. there's not enough pressure on them while other businesses are doing their best and investing day and night in their premises. So there's a huge issue, Michael. James Adrohada says the the lift for wheelchair access uh, from Lawrence Street has been broken for years, which I think is correct. But there must be real concern that uh, there'll end up being dereliction, a dereliction building, uh, if you like, uh, on Lawrence Street uh, because of this move by Marks and Spencers, which I think is the real significance of their decision to pull out because if they're not replaced, what is the future for the Lawrence Centre? There must be real concern uh, amongst the proprietors of the existing stores in the centre. Of course there must be, Michael, and a lot of them, the main ones obviously are are combines or they're national like Boots Chemists and so on. Um, But but the, the main point is that you know, if if the rates were cheaper, would that make a difference? Has the council not a role to play in attracting uh, more businesses into the town centre or keeping them there? Okay, let me ask and you a question really about that, if I could, because Shannon has been in touch and sure. she says, uh, "Can I ask why literally everything goes to Dundalk? Jobs, investment, we're forgotten about in Drada. There's nothing left in the town. There's nothing to go into town for anymore. Why is nobody fighting for us? Uh, is there any truth in that that Dundalk is being prioritised?" Over Drogheda? No, not at all, Michael. The truth is quite the opposite. In in, in fact, that Drogheda is the prime town in in County Loud. It's the bigger than Dundalk now in terms of population. It's a growth centre. It's tied in with Drogheda, Dundalk, and Uri as mm. a linear city, and that's the way the town is developing. Okay. We can't. You can't stop. You can't stop Marks and Spencers. Uh, from going out of town. Mm. Nor could you stop them coming in. Like, that's a business decision. But what the council must do is make it more attractive for people to come in and to stay here. And their biggest biggest attraction is reduce the rates, improve the footpaths, improve the public transport. And, you know, the Mm. other point that's happening about Drogheda, to refute the point being made, Drogheda is the centre for the DART, the dark will be here this time next year. Uh, you, you'll have huge transport links between Dublin uh, and Drogheda, and that will be two-way traffic. And there's huge investment in our town. And as I said, the nighttime economy manager, the love Drogheda are doing a fantastic job. And obviously the Westgate vision will help to transform the town, but the council is not doing enough. Now is the opportunity okay. for people to put those questions 
two politicians at the right. local elections come up. Here, here, and, and, here's a, another sure. important uh, question, not for politicians, I think, but for Marks and Spencers. I, I can't believe uh, the text has just come to us uh, from a member of staff, somebody who works for Marks and Spencers. They tell us that they found out that they had lost their job through social media. The caller says it's a disgusting way to treat people. Staff who were on a day off or out sick were not notified directly, but found out online uh, from media sites. Well, that's a company policy which I wouldn't agree with. It's the duty of every company to ensure that all of their staff, if they knew that this decision was coming, and it wasn't, I presume, made overnight, they said they made it after looking at the books for a long period of time, uh, they have a duty of care to all their staff, which clearly, in the case of that individual, they obviously clearly didn't discharge, and that is obviously not acceptable at all. At all. Mm. But, OK, but I put another point, point to you from Lorraine in Cunningham, yep. I, I can, uh, because she says that your party has been in power forever and a day, uh, but uh, she's saying that Fergus O'Dowd has done nothing about the cost of parking charges in Drogheda, which she says are a disgrace, the toll cost is a disgrace, uh, and the closure of uh, the Obelisk Bridge. Uh, I don't OK, think you... I deal with those. Yeah. The Obelisk Bridge was closed because it was dangerous. With the lady who's, who's commenting, would she want it open on her car to crash into it or people to be killed? The Obelix Bridge had to be repaired and it wasn't possible because of the structure to put a temporary vehicle passageway on it. That is a fact. Uh, it is also the contract should end shortly. I agree it discommoded lots of people, but it's going to be much safer when it opens and hopefully she'll be and other people will be able to use it into the future. As regards the tolls, the only TD who objected to the tolls was me. Nobody else. Nobody else. Uh, and the council sat back and didn't do their job. Uh, the tolls were imposed on Drogheda by a Fianna Fáil government. That is a fact. I uh, vehemently and totally opposed them at all times. She talks about parking charges and about the government. It's time she woke up and smelled the coffee. The coffee is that the people who make the, the parking charges for Drogheda are Drogheda, the council, the local council. I'm not on it. We're not legally allowed to be on it for nearly 20 years. And if I was on it, and I'm sure if she stood for election, she would be elected. She would be able to fight to get them reduced as well. She's absolutely right. They're far too dear. But the people who have to change that are the elected councillors, not the TDs. Okay. So they're... Can I ask you another question about <laughs> a completely separate issue, but course, again Mark, yeah. in Drogheda, remarkable story in the Irish Independent today, which I, I think you've been looking at following an yes, inspection Mark, yeah. report that was commissioned by the HSE uh, and uh, it meant that private civil engineers, building surveyors and electrical specialists uh, audited the cottage hospital in Drogheda, which is, as people will know, the ambulance base for the HSE for this region. What they found, amongst other things, was a green substance seeping out of electrical switches and sockets around the premises. There's a long list of problems uh, that are related uh, to this. Uh, they recommended rewiring and upgrading of all circuits found to be substandard and numerous old switches and sockets throughout the premises needed uh, charging. There was difficulty plugging in devices. Uh, the size of the cable and conductors was too small for the load. Problems with uh, the structure, problems with the footpaths, 
uh, potholes uh, and the list goes on and on and on uh, and it, it appears as though uh, very little has happened uh, since uh, this audit in December of 2021 as I said at the start this does seem to be a remarkable story doesn't it? It certainly is and it's shocking that nothing has happened to, sorry that, has, that those issues have not been resolved I understand the recommendation was that it would be done in two phases from reading the report in the paper and I haven't and wasn't aware of it until your programme told me, Michael, today, uh, that that it hasn't happened and that it, there's been no accountability for it. I mean, an ambulance uh, centre is critical and obviously, clearly, the people who work there need to be safe. And if there are issues around about the, the electrical appliances and sockets and this green substance, whatever the hell that is. I mean, I, I don't know why it hasn't been dealt with, but I will assure you, Michael, I'd be on to it straight away now, having been made aware of it. I think it's a health and safety report, and I don't know why it has taken until now to it be in the public domain. Um, and obviously, clearly, the press were aware of that, and rightly so. And it's it's up to the health board, the HSE, to deal with it immediately, uh, to make it safe for people who work there, and indeed for the public who are. I think there are other issues about footpaths, car parking spaces, um, covers of manholes, and so on that need to be addressed urgently. Mm. Um, which yeah, I, I have to say I found surprising because it, it looks in good uh, shape, uh, but uh, apparently yeah. failed on a lot of these tests uh, for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah, no, and it's uh, whatever the green substance yeah. was. Oh, right God, yeah. I, I don't know what the hell that was. <laughs> yeah. It sounds really strange and yeah. hopefully it wasn't dangerous, but. Mm. I hope to God it's gone. Yeah, it sounds uh, like look, some I'll, sort of I'll algae growing. That. I mean, you'd have to assume that there's water close to the cabling, the electric cabling or something like that. It sounds very dangerous. Sure. <laughs> okay. It doesn't sound good, Michael. No. I wouldn't have it uh, at all anywhere. Um, no problem. Thank you for bringing that to my attention, Michael. OK, no well, thank you for joining us this morning. As always, Fine Gael no TD much. for Loud and East Meads, Fergus O'Dowd. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now to the doll once again where yesterday Gaza and the Israeli offensive dominated uh, the proceedings. The ground assault on Rafah should not happen. Uh, 1.5 million people are taking refuge there, most of them displaced already from other parts of Gaza, some displaced uh, on, on more than one occasion. And there is a serious risk of a massacre occurring uh, in Rafah uh, if a ground assault uh, were to occur. Uh, and that would be a gross violation of international law on top of all of the other violations of international law which Israel is responsible for. Um, we were among the first countries in the world and among the first parliaments in the world to call for a ceasefire. Uh, that is correct. Uh, there is now a ceasefire proposal on the table, negotiated by Egypt, by Qatar and by the Americans. Both Hamas and Israel should accept that ceasefire offer, in my view. It will last for three months, will allow the hostages to be released, and they should be released, the killing to stop, and aid to get into Palestinian civilians. And then there's the possibility to build on that three-month ceasefire, make it permanent, uh, enable the removal of Hamas uh, leadership and fighters from Gaza, uh, and potentially uh, new elections uh, in, in, in Israel. That's Taoiseach Leo Vratker, who made his strongest statement yesterday about Israel thus far. It's very, very clear to me, though, Deputy, uh, that Israel is not listening to any country in the world. I don't even think they're listening to the Americans anymore. Uh, they have become blinded by rage uh, and they are going to make the situation, uh, I believe, much worse for their own security in the long term by going down the path they're going. It's very, very clear. 
blinded by rage, but what can be done? And we've spoken before in this House on working with other like-minded states, European Union member states, on seeking to press further, to press further at EU level. So can you update this House on what actions are ongoing and what are, what are the other EU member states with whom you're working? We understand Belgium may be one. Because now is the time for us to see further action being taken. And you've said Israel isn't listening. But Israel will have to listen if enough countries in the West currently supporting Israel withdraw support. And I'm thinking in particular of the US and I'm thinking of EU countries uh, with whom Ireland has influence. And it is possible for you and your government to use your influence to a higher and stronger degree because otherwise we are all complicit, sitting, watching an Armageddon unfold and children like young Hind Rajab continuing to die and continuing to suffer under our watch, under the watch of this world. So we need to go further, Taoiseach, and, we need, and there are actions we could take here at home in passing the Occupied Territories Bill and actually that your government can take you, at Deputy. EU level. Labour leader Ivana Bakic, we can hear some of the Taoiseach's response. I, I really think we need to be, be honest um, uh, about uh, the situation that we see unfolding uh, in, in the Middle East. Uh, we will take action. We have taken action. We'll even take more action. But it's very clear to me uh, that the Israeli government doesn't listen to us, doesn't listen to the world, probably doesn't even listen to the Americans anymore. And that's what makes the situation all the more dangerous and all the more worrying. And I think we need to be honest with people about that too, because I am concerned that there are actually people who shout at us and abuse us in the streets. Maybe they don't do it to you, but they certainly do it to me and to my colleagues here, who believe there is some action that we can take that will change Benjamin Netanyahu's mind. I think that's incorrect, and I don't think people should spread that idea. I think it's, I think it's, actually, um, I think it's actually irresponsible. And that's the Taoiseach. Let's hear from Richard Boyd Barrett. What kind of regime thinks it could get away with a genocide in front of the world, and when it is indicted for genocide, want to continue? And the answer, Taoiseach, is a regime for whom there are never any consequences, ever. Words of criticism, even the quite strong language used by Minister Coveney and others today, means nothing, as you rightly said, means nothing to Netanyahu to Smotrich, Ben Giver, ministers today in the Israeli government saying we want to destroy Gaza. To add to the litany of incitements to genocide made by that government over the last four months. Why do they continue? Why do they think they can do it again? Because there are never any consequences and the United States continues to give them arms and weapons. European states like Germany and Britain continue to give them arms and weapons and the European Union gives them favoured trade status and nobody imposes any sanctions on them. One of the proudest things this country uh, can uh, be proud of is what the, the Dunn Stores workers did in the mid-1980s by going on strike for two years, forcing Ireland to be the first country in the world to impose comprehensive, comprehensive sanctions on apartheid South Africa, which began a domino effect that led to the dismantling of the apartheid regime. Of course, guess who held out till the bitter end to defend that obnoxious regime? The United States and Britain. Same people who are effectively giving the license to Israel to continue its atrocities. Be brave. Do what this country did with apartheid South Africa in the mid-1980s that helped bring that regime down. Admit it is an apartheid state. 
It is an uncivilized state, it is a barbaric state, and that it should have sanctions imposed on it in order to end that apartheid, end that occupation, and end the possibility of the sort of genocidal slaughter we have seen for the last four months. We'll give the final word then to the Taoiseach. I believe that if we can secure that three-month ceasefire, then there's a real possibility of that becoming permanent. That will, of course, require uh, the removal of Hamas leadership and fighters uh, from that territory. Um, and I echo the comments uh, of Minister Coveney earlier today. I do not believe that you respond to a massacre with more massacres. And I do not believe that you can defeat a monster by behaving uh, like a monster yourself. Uh, and we will continue to work with our partners in the European Union and other parts of the world to do what we can do that we believe will be effective. That's the Taoiseach, Leo Radker. I'm sure you have thoughts on this. If you want to share them, 0419832000. If you'd like to ring us, text or WhatsApp 086 1800 658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, if you're in Dublin today, you may come across uh, the Women's Aid to Into You Valentine's Pop-Up Shop, which will be open from half ten till half five this evening on Mary Street. Uh, the idea is to prompt what they say are crucial conversations about intimate relationship abuse. Mary Hayes, uh, the Two Into You project lead with Women's Aid, joins us. Good morning to you, Mary. Thanks uh, for joining us at this Valentine's day. It's a day where there's a lot of pressure on couples to have red roses and blue violets and the perfect relationship and very few relationships are perfect and this can lead to a lot of tension indeed. I think people in restaurants will tell you uh, that they see more arguments on St. Valentine's Day than on any other day of uh, the year so it can be uh, quite a, a tense day and a napped day for you to Uh, make the service available to people. Tell us a little bit about the conversations that you're hoping to have with those who visit you on Mary Street today. Absolutely. So today we're, I suppose, hoping to disrupt people's idea of what, you know, real romance is in a relationship. Um, It can be, you know, normal to have arguments, things like that. You know, being showered with attention and affection can feel really lovely. But, you know, from supporting... uh, women for years, we know that abuse can hide in relationships that appear romantic on the surface. So in the Valentine's shop, we have different props um, that hold a kind of sinister message. So for example, uh, we have a teddy bear and if you squeeze him, you know, he tells you to shut up, symbolizing, you know, the kind of emotional abuse side of um, relationships, harassment, being put down, things like that. We also have um, a GPS tracker that's hidden inside a heart. Uh, necklace um, to symbolize online abuse that's really common in young people's relationships. So that might be something that someone uses to track uh, their partner's movements, to monitor their activity and to see you know, where they're going, who they're spending time with. And that's a real invasion of privacy. So I suppose with these pieces, we're trying to draw awareness to the red flags of abuse so that people can recognize them in their own relationships, in their friends' relationships, and know where to go for support. Mm, you have red roses too, I think. Yeah, we have um, mm. red roses in a vase, um, and mm. they're symbolising, you know, this phrase, I'm sorry, it won't happen again. And all around the red roses, we have phrases that an abusive partner will commonly use, you know, things like, I'm sorry, you made me do it, um, you know, I was just having a bad day. Yeah. Uh, it won't happen again. And these excuses are commonly used as a way to, you know, brush off abusive or controlling behaviours. Uh, but we know that these behaviours aren't acceptable. 
um, and that abusive partners rarely change um, and that, you know, it can be very distressing to be told over and over again that your partner will change when most likely they won't. The abuse will only get much worse over Mm. time. Uh, Do you believe that the abuser, the partner who's abusing um, the other partner can change themselves in another relationship Uh, because uh, some of the behaviour you're describing I don't know, to me it seems warped that somebody would put a GPS tracker on another person. That's uh, nothing to do with having a relationship with uh, another person, to my mind. Well, I suppose the thing with abuse is, you know, anyone um, can experience it and anyone can commit it. Um, So unfortunately, abuse is very common in Ireland. You know, we like to think that abuse happens at the hands of, you know, these very physically aggressive and violent men, which obviously, you know, can happen But also abuse can happen, you know, in young relationships. It can happen in an emotional capacity, which, you know, we know that the the effects of emotional abuse can be even more long lasting than physical abuse. And I suppose it's not so much about, you know, um, the fact of someone changing or why they do it. What we're trying to focus on is the person who is being done to, because there's too much um, focus, I suppose, put on the person abusing when really we should be focusing on the person who needs support. Because in an abusive relationship, most often you'll be told, you know, the abuse is your fault. You'll be made feel like you're the reason it's happening. And, you know, that's a form of emotional abuse in itself. It's a form of gaslighting. So we really Mm. want to focus with this campaign on telling young people, you know, abuse is not your fault. Um, You don't deserve it. You deserve to have a happy and healthy relationship. Mm. So with the Two and Two campaign, we're trying to teach young people you know, what healthy behaviours are, what they should really strive for in relationships. Because it can be subtle in the ways uh, that you've explained and you ask people uh, as well uh, to take uh, this uh, quiz, uh, a relationship quiz, uh, and are... Uh, is your partner uh, asking or commenting on what you wear or telling you what to wear, who you see, uh, your use of social media uh, and what you spend uh, and these type of issues because it can be very controlling behaviour? Absolutely, because I suppose no one wants to recognise abuse in their own relationship. It can be a very hard thing to reckon with, you know, because you can feel like it's your fault, but it's not your fault. We want people to, to remember that. But the quiz is a really good first step, especially for young people, to start to think about their relationship, how it makes them feel, you know, where the control lies in the relationship, if, you know, if there is control there. Um, and it's also a really good one for people to share with their friends, you know. Uh, very often people will open up to friends before anyone else. Um, and actually one in three young women um, abused won't tell anyone about the abuse that they've experienced. Mm. So we really do need people to look out for each other. So th- the quiz is a really nice first step. You know, it's just 10 short questions and it can tell you if your relationship is healthy or unhealthy. And it's um, available at our website, 2intoyou.ie. Yeah, and it's a day, I think, where there is a lot of pressure. There's always been a lot of pressure and it really comes uh, from a commercial drive to sell greeting cards or flowers or chocolates or whatever the case may be. And of course, we all fall like suckers for it uh, every single year because uh, there is that pressure on us uh, to be with someone, uh, to be in a happy relationship, to have this perfect... Uh, and, and it doesn't necessarily work that way. Uh, what would you say to people today uh, about St. Valentine's Day uh, and this idea that um, we all have to have something that eludes most of us most of the time? 
Well, I suppose the kind of idea of romance, you know, and um, romantic relationships, we grow up with it. We see it in TVs and films and, you know, rom-coms. It's fed to us in all aspects of society. And of course, you know, people want to be in love. They want to feel loved. But, you know, we want people to have healthy love, you know, love where they're appreciated and celebrated and respected and where there's equality. So, you know, that relationship, it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship. We want people to be, you know, treated with kindness um, and, and, you know, real respectful love today um, and, and every day. Mm. And wait for it, because most likely it will come. You don't have to take second best. Uh, and if any of uh, that controlling behaviour or abusive uh, behaviour is part of your relationship, uh, you do not have to endure it. Mary, thank you indeed for joining us on the programme today. Mary Hayes, two into you, project lead with Women's Aid. Michael Reed on LMFM. Two almost identical texts about the Lawrence Centre in Drogheda. One from John. He says, Michael, I think Fergus was in there on a good day. The footfall has not been there for years. There's no shops left. And another text uh, then uh, from uh, somebody who says, uh, Fergus uh, must have been in there a long time ago or does he not go to Marks and Spencer's it's like a ghost town anytime you go in now uh, and uh, it's been like that for a long time I'm not one bit surprised to hear this news uh, that comment not signed uh, just uh, thank you for your comment uh, if you don't sign your comments we will read them out but it's nice uh, to see names and sort of kind of get to know some of the listeners as I feel you kind of do when they're regular listeners like Paddy Duffy who always uh, puts his name to his comment thanks for your comment today as well Paddy he says when copper is in contact with water I think it gives off a green colour. Look at any copper roof on a church. Yeah, well, if you look at copper roofs, they're all green. Uh, you'd never know that they were copper colour to begin with. Uh, that's a, a valid point, but it's scary, Paddy, if you're saying that the copper wires are in touch with water at uh, the ambulance base. Uh, we don't know if that's true, but uh, uh, thanks, uh, as I say, for your comment. Uh, we'd uh, Somebody else in touch with us uh, saying uh, that theft and antisocial behaviour is uh, one reason why some shops decide to close their business forced out by criminals who seem to be a law unto themselves uh, another text from somebody who says the Lawrence Centre will be like Carol Village in Dundalk derelict for years the Long Walk Centre beside it nearly the same it's uh, the building of new centres on the outskirts of uh, the towns that is creating the problems thank you if you have been in touch I'll come to some more comments a little bit later on but let's uh, turn our attention now to the TV licence as you know Sinn Féin brought forward a, a motion yesterday which would uh, abolished the TV licence overnight and would have given an amnesty to people uh, who hadn't paid the TV licence up to now. Minister, it's nearly 10 years since the public service broadcasting charge was due to be introduced and since then we've had committees, we've had commissions, we've had all sorts of research and time and money invested into this question but successive Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael governments haven't had the political courage to make a call on this. Now, this government again handed over the job to the future of Media Commission in 2020, which was initially just set up to look solely at the licence fee. But then it was expanded to cover the future of media generally, thus giving political cover, thus giving political cover when this government inevitably didn't accept the Commission's recommendations for direct exchequer funding, which is Sinn Féin's policy proposal here tonight. 
The Commission's report, which cost the taxpayer €240,000, has been sitting, sitting gathering dust since 2022. Meanwhile, RTE has been in an absolute shambles and there's still no clear funding pathway to ensure the survival of public service media, be that TG Cahar, RTE and other broadcasters and media who provide public service content. We need a reform system that will secure funding whilst also ensuring accountability and transparency and value for money for all media who receive direct exchequer funding. That's Imelda Monster. Now, I think it's fair to say the Labour Party do not see eye to eye with Sinn Féin on this issue. I've been around a while and this motion, I believe, is probably one of the most amateur I've seen, which surprises me. I say that with all sincerity. Um, I think it's frankly a crazy motion, um, not very well written, and there's lots of holes in it. Um, the figures, the Minister actually alludes to this, the figures for me don't add up as regards it actually supplying the adequate amount of funding that would be required for public service broadcasting. And I'm wondering why Sinn Féin put down this motion tonight. It seems you've been spooked in some way. In relation to this, um, I know things haven't been going as good as normal for you lately. Seems like you've seems like you've thrown out a dead fish on the table to try and divert attention uh, in some way and get back back to your old populist ways, which is rather rather unfortunate. I, I let you speak, lads. You know, don't try and shout me down. Uh, it won't work. Uh, the um, so you know, going back to this amateur populist way isn't what Ireland needs right now. It isn't what the taxpayer needs. It isn't what those who believe in public service broadcasting like ourselves uh, believes. Um, at the end of the day, things have to be paid for. And populist nonsense in this country has a populist nonsense in this country. Are you finished? Populist nonsense in this country um, will get us nowhere. Um, Sinn Féin don't want to pay for carbon tax, they don't want to pay for household charges, property tax, and now the TV licence. Where is it going to end? This one big pot through taxation is going to pay for everything. That is not sustainable. It is not a left-wing position that is credible in a modern democracy. Alan Kelly, people before profit were more supportive of the Sinn Féin motion. People are still being dragged through court, 60 people a day, um, to try and get them to pay this TV licence. Um, that figure is going up. So it's probably now about 70 a day. In a couple of months, it'll be at 80 a day, 90 a day, 100 a day, and clog up our court system, huge num amount of resources to try and extract this money from people that people uh, do not want to pay and are refusing to pay. And that needs to stop. There needs to be an amnesty for those who are refusing uh, to pay. The um, question ar arises, why are they refusing to pay? And obviously you can track, there's always been a level of non-payment, but that shot up uh, dramatically after all of the scandal from RTE from last uh, summer. It was people seeing the 
75,000 euros secret payments to Ryan Tuberty. It was people seeing the 5,000 euros on flip-flops. It was people seeing the over 4,000 euros on membership of an exclusive club in London. It was people seeing public money being spent on whining and dining advertising executives while ordinary RTE workers were facing pay cuts, journalists were forced to record in cafe toilets, and freelancers were paid as little as 120 euros for a, a report. So people are reacting in protests to that. And also, bluntly, they're reacting, and correctly so. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Against what is an unjust tax. I mean, the minister herself earlier referred to it as a regressive tax. That is a you know, scientifically correct term. The poorest family in the, house, in the country which is eligible to pay pays the same amount for access to their uh, RTE public service broadcasting as the richest in the entire country. So it should be abolished. Paul Murphy, let's hear next from local independent Peter Fitzpatrick. The government up against a proposal to replace the OTE £200 million a year income from licence fee with direct state funding. It was the only recommendation of the Commission to be rejected outright. But it is time to acknowledge that the entire environment has not changed as a result of OTE scandal, which has exacerbated their funding challenges. Irish government has failed for too long to address the question of how to fund the public service broadcasting. All possible, all possible options need to be considered. Taking learning from our international counterparts, while considering both ideal put forward by the Technical Working Group and the Future of Media Commission original recommendations. We also need to consider the fact that there is a decline in the TV licence receipts and a continued shift in media consumption pattern. For example, the number of no TV households is now at over 13% and increasing. On top of this, due to the ageing population, the number of people qualifying for free licence is increasing, resulting in the Department of Social Protection providing £70 million in free licence per year. That's Peter Fitzpatrick. Now, another independent. This is Danny Healy-Ray. And we have to talk about the people that have been taking the court day after day for to pay a, a licence fee. And for what? Yes, 
we get a good current affairs, uh, we get good current affairs and news uh, from from um, RT. But there are a lot of deficiencies as well. And I don't watch the, t the television much, but when we see what was on the television on Christmas Day, black and white films that were 80 years old, I mean, God Almighty, who gave them them? Like they didn't have to pay for them. So we need we need transparency to, as to what's going on. We can't see matches, and and um, and and then we we see, we don't see enough of our uh, culture, Irish music and dancing, uh, are very little. We see too little of it. Then TG4 is a, whatever wing that is under. That is well run and is providing. Good uh, entertainment matches. To the, where we'll see most of the matches, we can see the big from West Kerry playing the Cardinals, and 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 we can see something real. But then, <laughs> we, what? When they're looking for 60 million RTE, they, at the same time they have been giving the likes of George Duffy 400,000 here, Ray Darcy 400 more. That's almost 1 million. That has to stop. Because uh, we know what Drodoffy tried to do to the good people of Killarney and Puck Fair in 2022, yeah. but but he, he, he failed because the crowd was bigger this year. I think we'll follow that a remarkable contribution from an independent TD with an even more remarkable contribution from an independent TD. TV licence and a national broadcaster are supposed to broadcast everything in Ireland, not just the government show. That's what they're... Government shows all they seem to broadcast now. And can you tell the Rockers here, in the deal of the taxpayers' money that you gave to fund them, to, get, to stop them from closing, how much airtime in debt have you done a deal for? Just tell the people of Ireland the truth. How much airtime? Why is it, is it that you look at the Virgin Media and TV3s and the TG4 have come up with, with an even uh, broadcasting? And when you go to RT, and I followed RT all my life, and I have great admiration for the staff that are naughty in all the levels. But at the top, it is wrong. Because it's not equally being given out. And the real stories around Ireland, and you ask reporters around Ireland, they're not getting the opportunity to go out and report the real stories. Why? Because it seems to be just all a government show. That's Richard O'Donoghue. Now, it's a Sinn Féin motion that was tabled by Thomas Gould. This is a detailed report by experts that was commissioned and was comprehensive. But there is no excuse for you to come in here and say our proposal is premature when Fianna Gael or Fianna Fáil had 10 years of it, right? What action was taken? And Minister, what we are saying, Sinn Féin is bringing forward solutions tonight. This government is scared to act, and we know why. Now, what we're saying is, if we continue to ignore these reports, the cost is costing millions when you look at the wastage that RTE have. And just to give you, just to give you something to think about, Minister, this report for the future of media cost 240,000 and is sitting on your desk for two and a half years. 240,000. Let's hear from the Minister. Abolishing the licence fee is not a new proposal. With the transformational change in media consumption, the model is clearly outdated. We knew this even before the RTE crisis erupted. And that is why this government set up the Future of Media Commission in 2020. That is why this government accepted in principle the recommendation to replace the TV licence. 
That is why this government is committed to addressing the issue, to making the decision where other governments have failed to do so. But abolishing it with immediate effect, as Sinn Féin is proposing, is both reckless and irresponsible. The public, through their licence fee, provided over €123 million Euro of funding for public service broadcasting in Ireland in 2023. Funding not just for RTE, but to the Sound and Vision Scheme, which is available to all broadcasters and is a significant support for the independent production sector. Replacing it will require legislative change, and this will take some time. Sinn Féin has no real plan as to how this necessary funding will be replaced tomorrow if it was abolished immediately, as is their wish. This is reckless in the extreme and is not the way to provide the stability and certainty which is needed, particularly by the staff in RTE. Catherine Martin, and if the Minister left Sinn Féin in any doubt as to whether the government was going to support uh, their motion, I think the Taoiseach spelled it out very clearly for them. I agree that the TV licence is outmoded. Uh, however, it remains the law, and I encourage people to comply with the law and continue to pay it. Uh, it's not just about RTE, it's about other forms of public service broadcasting, Irish language programming, uh, and indeed uh, programming for children and, and the arts. Uh, government will make a decision this year on a new funding model. It'll either be a household charge collected by revenue uh, or exchequer funding. But I have to say, Deputy, I, I had a chance to read your policy, and yeah, it's a, a nice picture of you and Pierce here, and it's like, it's, it's pretty comical. Um, I'm sorry to say that, but it is. Uh, part, part, parts of it are copy and pasted from the uh, Future of the Commission media report. Uh, I think your proposal to um, introduce an amnesty for people who didn't pay uh, is deeply insulting to people who comply with the law and do pay. Just think about all those people who collect the stamps or who pay their bills and have done so for years. I think it's uh, an insult and a kick into teeth so to them. And the oddest thing in the policy is this proposal that you would continue to pay 12.5 million a year to on post for not collecting the charge when it's abolished. I'm all for supporting on post, but giving people 12 million a year to collect a charge that doesn't exist anymore really is comical. That's the Taoiseach, Leo Vratker. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, close uh, to two years ago, Mandy Kelly from uh, Dundalk uh, was in Egypt uh, with her partner and her two children only to be locked into an apartment and to discover that her partner had taken her children away from her and she hasn't seen them since. Uh, the two children then aged five and three. Mandy is on the phone with us indeed. Mandy, uh, you spoke to Alan on the programme uh, some time ago about uh, this ordeal that you've been through. Um, but uh, I take it that you haven't had any contact with your children since. Uh, good morning, Michael. Um, many thanks for allowing me um, to speak on the show this morning. Um, yes, it's exactly two years since I have had any contact with my children, since I've seen them or heard their voices. That's a long time. Um, your eldest would be seven now, is it? And the youngest would be five? Um, Zane will be six in May and Kareem will be four um, in November. Okay. Um, have you had any contact over the two years? Absolutely none. Um, when I returned to Ireland, I tried to maintain contact with my mother-in-law, but that was halted at the end of May 2022. Okay. Um, you must wonder what the boys look like. 
Yeah, exactly. Like I said, I have missed so much of their lives. So, so much. Like, um, Kareem, my youngest son, was only 16 months when this happened. And Zayn, um, three going on four. And like I said, it's just a, a living nightmare. It's a mm. perpetual nightmare living without your, your children waking up every morning and having to live this hell. Um, it's just horrific. It really is horrific. And it's only parents that are actually going through something like this that really do understand what it's like to basically li- g- grieve over your children that are still actually alive. They'll have changed physically. Their appearance uh, for such young children will uh, have changed uh, quite considerably over a couple of years. I like can that. imagine, yeah. yes. Yeah. I can imagine. Uh, and psychologically, I mean, they're, they'll have learned so much. I mean, they're at an age where they're learning all the time. Uh, they'll have changed as people themselves over that time. I can imagine. So I can imagine that they are probably speaking fluent Arabic at the moment, mm. which I have no issue with. Like as in, I had never any issue with my children being bilingual. Um, however, it does worry me that when I do finally get to meet my children, that they may not be able to communicate with me effectively. Do you ever think um, they might know you? Um, no, they will know me. Um I know that they will know me because, um, like any mother, before this happened, um, they were my whole life. Like I said, they will know me. I know that. And uh, time can be a wonderful thing. It really can. Mm. You were on holiday, were you, uh, with your partner, Rami? Um, Yes, uh, we were too. We were, um, it's actually almost coming up now two years ago since this occurred. Um, We travelled on the 26th of February 2022 and we were to return to Ireland on March 12th. Um, However, on March 11th, this is when uh, the incident occurred. And did you see it coming? Was there problems in the relationship? Absolutely none. Like as in, he had signed on. He as in my ex-partner had signed on in Monaghan Garda Station for his visa renewal and the reason for this was when we were when we were to return to Ireland he was going to apply for his Irish passport and um, we had attended the school that Zane was supposed to um to um be, begin um to start in in September 2022 so there there were no warning signs there absolutely none even in the holiday itself like I said we we spent time with his family um we 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 did what any other couple did. We tr- tried to, um, you know, make the most of it. And um, things changed the day before we were supposed to travel back. Mm. And then uh, he locks you in an apartment and drives away with your children, uh, his children uh, as well. Um, did I take it you have spoken to him since then? Did he explain it at all or did he give you any reason? Well... Michael, the whole story, the whole point of the story is not only are my children with him in his care, um, but there's another big uh, issue in my story, which I have no issue in telling people anymore because it's incredibly important that the Irish public realise that not only were my children kidnapped from me, but there is a cash ransom on my kids. Um, and um, basically... Um, I've been withhold, 
I'm not allowed to communicate with my children until I meet um, his demands. And he he is my ex-partner. He told you you won't get the children back unless you pay up. Yes, yeah, so exactly. And like the authorities here, as in the Department of Justice, they're more than well aware of that mm. case. They're very aware of the ins and outs of the case. Mm. Um, and I, I know uh, that the minister has uh, communicated with you, and we can talk about that, uh, of course. Um, do, do you wish to tell people how much he's looking for? Uh, no, but it's an incredibly, a substantial amount of money, life-changing money. You've informed uh, the Gardaí, the Department uh, and indeed the Minister for Justice, uh, Helen McEntee. Um, what have you been told? Well, basically from return to Ireland, um, obviously I reported it straight away to the local Garda station and I have, um, and of course Tusla and all the relevant authorities here. But their response has been lacklustre. Um, I've been lobbying ever since for support, for effective support from the Irish government. And um, only I am persistent. Um, I would, like I said, I've been, they've tried to do everything in their power to basically avoid me because they don't really recognise the seriousness of the case. Um, they're basically just you know, putting it down to a love tug-of-war case between a couple. Yeah, the boys were born here, were they? Yes, they're um, Irish-born citizens. Yeah, I think that's an important point, Mandy. That's what you would think so, but however, that's the point that I'm trying to emphasise since March 2022. And even this morning, I'm standing outside the Department of Justice and I'm seeking and urging Miss Helen McEntee to meet with me. Even just out of courtesy, the fact that I'm an Irish citizen, I'm an Irish mother, she is more than aware, well aware of the case. And it's time now for her to meet with me and to do what's necessary. And what's necessary is for the issuing of an international arrest warrant for my ex. That's exactly why I'm being persistent with this. You believe that's possible? Of course it's possible. Like as in other European countries, including France, have have done this for citizens that have went through the same thing as me. And especially in the, in the, in my case where there is a cash ransom on two young children, she should be adamant in meeting an Irish Irish citizen, an Irish mother who has went through something so horrific. How can she proclaim to be an advocate for women's rights if she can't meet a woman slash mother who has gone through something so horrific? I'm not sure that anybody um, would be able to empathise with you listening to us uh, this morning. It's a very strong message um, that you're sending to the minister and with little wonder. Uh, Outside of something like what you're proposing there, an international arrest warrant, uh, is there any hope of getting the children back? Have you got any contact with Rami's family or 
uh, any way of getting in touch with uh, the children or finding out exactly where they are or somebody who could speak to Rami or somebody else in the family on your behalf? Um, to be honest, Michael, it's beyond that because his family have blocked communication with me. Though it's very loud and clear that his family are supporting him and supporting the fact that it's cash that they're wanting. And so how how can you deal with a kidnapper who is seeking ransom for his children? I, I have no idea. I really have no idea how you can negotiate with some an individual like this. Do you believe that if you were able to raise the money and paid the money over that he would return your children to you? Um, I don't want this to happen. And I'll explain why. Um, Because um, it's sending out a very strong message to others who might have that idea in their head. So I want to send a strong message that parental abduction is a crime, first of all, and that there are consequences. And I want the Irish government to intervene and to do what is necessary to protect my children's rights. Okay. And in order for them to be able to return back to Ireland, Ireland is their habitual residence, residency. They were born here. Yeah, and you loved them um, as much as any mother loves their children. But... Of course. Yeah. Exactly. And it's a mother's love that is keeping me going. That's allowing me to get up, have the strength to get up every day and to fight this horribly cruel thing that has happened. Yeah. You're at the department today, are you? Yes, I'm standing outside it and I'm urging I'm urging Miss Helen McEntee to meet with me. Like as it, it's not only m- me that has been requesting this meeting. I have gone to so many different TDs and senators uh, to request for this meeting. Obviously, you know, TDs, senators, they're, they're, a lot of them are parents themselves. Of course, they, they're going to advocate for this. Well, um, we'll make and sure. I must add as well, yeah. I must add as well, I really do thank my local TDs and constituents for listening to me and for trying to help. But obviously, it's out of their hands at the moment. It's now time for Helen to do what's right and meet with me. Mandy, we'll make sure that the Minister is aware of your request to meet with you. Um, Thank uh, you very much. uh, And uh, if we have anything um, by way of a response from the Minister, we'll bring it uh, to you immediately. Um, It's an impossible situation that you're in. I really appreciate your support and help. Thank you for talking to us today, Mandy. Thank you. Thank Man. you. Thank you. God bless. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's uh, Mandy Kelly in Dundalk. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Yesterday, the Oireachtas Justice Committee heard arguments for and against the use of Gardaí using facial recognition technology. Let's hear a little bit from what the Garda Commissioner had to say. Every major criminal investigation now involves processing digital evidence, and this evidence can take the forms of images or footage obtained through warrant from seized devices or CCTV. Two separate judgments recently from the Court of Appeal confirm that Gardaí have a duty to process available footage to identify or indeed exclude suspects. Digitalisation in society has led to an explosion in the volume of digital footage as evidence. For instance, the footage from the 23rd of November riots now runs to some 22,000 hours, a 
total of 916 days of footage. Individual murder investigations have had upwards of 50,000 hours of footage and seized devices can, over, can have over a million images of child sexual abuse material. And the key to these cases can often be just a, uh, a few frames out of millions of frames. A child school uniform crest can help to identify the victim. The importance of brief footage in a murder investigation, or indeed an arson investigation, can't be overemphasized in terms of making a detection for serious crime. Dig digital evidence that Guardi have a duty to process is now at a big data scale in terms of its massive volume, the complexity of formats, and the rate at which it is generated. Digital crime and evidence can only be investigated with digital tools. Manual processing by Garda personnel sitting at screens is unfeasible and ineffective. Well, some amount of footage that Gardaí have to look at, or as the Commissioner said, there an explosion of digital footage that uh, could be used as evidence. Obviously, the Gardaí Commissioner wants uh, his force to use facial recognition technology. Let's speak to Olga Cronin, who's Senior Policy Officer with the Irish Council for Civil Liberties. And on the line with us. Good morning to you, Olga. Thanks uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. You don't want this technology to be used by the police in this country. Why not? Okay, so um, top line, I guess, the point is that facial recognition technology is not a silver bullet solution. It doesn't provide users with a definitive result, which I think is um, a kind of misconception out there. And your listeners may be um, amused to know that it's not that you run an FRT search and you get one singular result. You get a list of candidates with a percentage score attached to it. And if I may explain, um, Michael, hmm. say I am in a database that the guards want to do a search against, and say I have, there's somebody that looks very like me, let's call her Alga 2, and let's say Alga 2 um, carries out a crime, and she's caught on CCTV. They take that still from CCTV, and myself and Alga 2 are both in the reference database, and they do a search. It's not, and, and maybe we both come back as, uh, potential candidates with a similarity score. It's not guaranteed that all the two would be above me in the list. I could be number one. She could be number six, seven, hundred. Mm. And it's not guaranteed that the guard will choose the right candidate. So I think that just has to be made very, very clear that that face recognition technology mm. does not provide one definitive result. Okay, to put that in very simple terms, uh, the... Uh, technology could wrongly recognise you as the bank robber. Yes, misidentify mm. me, which could then mm. have subsequent consequences in terms of like a guard coming to my mm. door, questioning me. And they may they may eventually say, okay, the computer got it wrong, mm. but that's not the point. And it'd be so more accurate with, it would be, it would, the technology would be more accurate in recognising white males, would it? Yes, that's the case. So um, historically, FRT has just been trained essentially on the faces of white men, mainly because white men's faces were more on the internet over the years. So they were, you know, that's where the data set of the training data came from. So that's why when you hear us and others speak about the discriminatory element of facial recognition technology, it's because it's been trained on faces that are, let's say, not representative of, you know, a whole demographic. And that's a really serious issue, Michael, because because of the inherent racial and gender biases and age biases within FRT, because of how it's changed, um, and because these systems are set up by private companies, it's very difficult to get to grips with the actual 
discriminatory um, measure, if you like, yeah. of the technology. And because this yeah, this varies from experience elsewhere, isn't it, uh, where this technology is used and that the machines are identifying people in real time. Were you appeased at all by the arguments that the Gardaí made yesterday that, uh, that it would be used retrospectively and with human involvement, that people would sit down uh, after the event, not as it was happening, but after the event and try to identify what the mach- or, 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 or verify what the machine is saying? So, no, <laughs> in okay. short. Yep. No, and I mean, I think that the Department of Justice and the Guard Commissioner previously, or sorry, the Minister for Justice have previously flagged that they're not going to use live facial recognition technology. Look, we understand that live facial recognition technology, you know, presents a higher risk in terms of, like, if there was going to be an immediate consequence without a, a gap of time for guards to take a beat, right? But the problem is, is that there will always be more video footage of someone retrospectively than at one point in time. And because of that, it, it's not fair to say that retrospective is safer than FOT, than live. And so, like, it's a trap to fall into that idea um, because essentially, you know, like, using FOT on any recorded video, live or retrospective, threatens to enable mass surveillance because it allows someone who is using it to map out um, a pattern of someone's lives. Mm. So, like, so if I can compare facial recognition technology to either maybe phone tracking or fingerprinting, but the difference here is, is that if you, if you, if it was phone tracking, you at least have the ability to leave your phone at home. If it was fingerprinting, you would know you were being fingerprinted. Applying FRT to record a video over time, like live or retrospective, but actually retrospective is worse because there's more of it, um, it presents a serious fundamental, um, fundamental rights. The Commissioner went on um, in his presentation just where we cut the clip there to say that he has concerns about the welfare of his officers uh, when it comes to child abuse, that they have to sit down and watch endless hours of the most horrific abuse of children and that that could help, uh, that this technology could help uh, with that, that you could get to a certain stage before people had to get involved uh, and that it would be people who would then identify uh, the abusers as such. Yeah, and I think, Michael, I mean, everyone would have sympathy with any guard who has to do that job, you know, um, and it would be our, it's our position that guards need effective and legitimate tools to combat serious crime. Um, and they, you know, they have to gather evidence so that people who have committed crimes can be prosecuted. But they need effective tools to do that, and they need a legal basis um, that won't be subject to challenge later on. And as it stands, the bill as presented, and this is, these were these were concerns shared by others, such as the Law Society yesterday in the in the um, committee hearing, that as it stands, you know, the the, the, the legislation isn't in compliance with the EU law in this respect, mm. because you see. As it stands, there's just no limitations. There's no safeguards. It's untargeted. Um, it, it allows. It it, it 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 truly does allow for um, you know a very pervasive, invasive surveillance of kind of anyone. Um, and and you know like limiting the use of FRT to very serious crimes. You know that doesn't mean you can avoid the principles of Europe, the European Charter of Fundamental Rights. Mm. And what that means is that even if the guards say, look, we have a very important crime to investigate, that doesn't give them her plans to do whatever they want. And, and at the moment, the bill at the stand um, is not in compliance with EU law in this respect because it's so vague, subjective, 
and it gives this broad provision to, for guards to be able to locate a person or to follow the movements of a person in order to progress an investigation. And it gives excessive discretion to the guardian to identify and track the movements of people without limitation in an untargeted fashion and without safeguards. And otherwise, like our point is, is that, you know, because of this um, the problematic manner in which the bill has been, is, is, has been put forward to, so far, otherwise safe prosecutions could be successfully appealed. And as I said, mm-hmm. other, um, other contributors to the appearance, to the hearing yesterday made the thing. Uh, well, well, red flags were raised in Leinster House from across the world, really. Yes, uh, experts from California, London, New Zealand, all expressing concerns about the use of uh, this technology. Uh, and the Law Society of Ireland uh, suggested that the bill would be open to legal challenges. So they were suggesting that if it is to be used by the Gardaí that there would have to be strict checks and balances put in place, that there would have to be prior judicial approval, that you would have to look for something uh, similar to uh, a search warrant. Yes, yes. Um, they did make that point about the, the judicial approval. And if I remember correctly, um, I believe um, uh, Senator Lynn Ruan was putting that question to Commissioner Harris as to whether or not that they would be... Um, you know, opposed to that safeguard. And I'm not sure the answer was quite was clear. Um, but yes, um, that is a safeguard that the Law Society put forward. And it would be a significant safeguard. But I would also highlight that the Law Society also said um, that they believe that the test of necessity and proportionality required for this kind of um, surveillance tool, this, the introduction of biometric identification in the Irish context, merits further examination. And I think that's, a, that's an extremely important point. You know, we're going into this in a, in a I mean, it, it, what's fascinating is that this bill was, um, or this measure was announced in 2022 with no details. Um, it was just something that was kind of pushed in the media, mainly by the Minister for Justice, without any details. And now we have, and, and, and remember, it was going to be tacked on, the power was going to be tacked on as a last minute amendment to a bill that passed just before Christmas without any pre-legislative scrutiny. Mm-hmm. And what was fascinating yesterday was that everyone in the room was in agreement that, you know, all the legislators that were there said, if I remember correctly, they were saying that they learned more um, in, the, in the previous two or four hours than they had, you know, at all. And that, that showed how important that scrutiny was. But I think that the Law Society saying that the test of necessity and proportionality required further, um, you know, in the Irish context, merits further examination was was an extremely good call, and uh, and I hope that the legislators, you know, will 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 sit with that before they bring out their report. Okay, Olga, we leave it there for the moment. Thank you for joining us this morning, Olga Cronin, senior policy officer with the Irish Council for Civil Liberties. Michael Reed on LMFM. A lot of people in touch with us today. Great to get so many calls. Margaret, thank you for ringing. She said she was very sad to hear about Marks and Spencer's closing in Drogheda and it's a huge blow for the town. More and more businesses are closing down. It's really beginning to impact on shoppers. Drogheda used to be a great town for shopping, but now there's barely anything left. People will leave the town in their droves to go elsewhere to shop, so it's time for local politicians and the Chamber of Commerce to step up and do more to entice more businesses back into the town. Anne in touch with us about Marks and Spencer too, saying it was hardly surprising to hear the closure given how much footfall has fallen in and around Drogheda town centre in recent years. There's nothing in the centre of the town for the shopper these days.
Ferries and it's an absolute nightmare trying to get parking anywhere. She says she only goes into town when she absolutely has to and even then it's straight in and straight back out again. The town is slowly dying. We need immediate reaction from government and uh, the local business community to help turn things around. Thanks uh, for that. Mag, why in touch with us uh, about uh, the situation uh, that Mandy finds herself in. Um, it's just an incredible. Uh, uh, how do you describe what Mandy Kelly is going through? Uh, her two children abducted by her former partner. She says uh, that uh, having her children abducted for a ransom, as we heard today, is so cruel and anti-human. Betty Daly says, Michael, uh, when it comes to Danny Healy Ray and the other man, that was Richard O'Donoghue, uh, they were right about RTA, not showing enough of Irish shows. Bring back Strumpet City, Talcaro and Shay and Maya and Hall's Victoria Weekly. They were simple, easy-going shows, but they were very enjoyable and nobody was killed in them. Thanks, Betty, for that. I take it uh, you don't watch any of the soaps today. Uh, I don't think an episode goes... Well, I don't think five minutes go by without shouting, uh, let alone all of the other things that goes on in those programmes. They're dreadful. I can't believe how popular they are. It always amazes me. Thanks for your message, Betty. I think you and me are in the minority. Uh, Pete in Navin says, uh, the lady we had on before 10 o'clock uh, this morning, this is uh, from Women's Aid. We were speaking to Mary Hayes of 2NTU. Uh, he said, um, well, there's women out there who are drinking their heads off, gin and tonics, wine to beat the band all night long. Then they're abusing their husbands and their partners who are trying to get a night's sleep. Why didn't Mary mention the flood of drinking problems now with women? It's never talked about, but women in Ireland now drinking themselves into oblivion is out of control. Janie, Pete, I'll be wondering for the rest of the day what prompted that message. Uh, I, I don't think there's anything particularly good in it uh, and it's very worrying thank you uh, we would another text then from somebody who says good morning Michael unfortunately it's another dark day for the town of Drogheda 57 jobs gone which will be devastating for the workers this is just another example of the town of Drogheda being abandoned by the authorities for the last 20 years there's no investment in Drogheda just look at the main entrance to the town from the North Road narrow West Street area it's an absolute disgrace the town is crumbling to pieces leaders lead and there is no leadership in this town Um, we'd uh, Lorraine in touch with us earlier I put her points to Fergus O'Dowd about the toll cost the cost of parking uh, and uh, the Obelisk Bridge and Fergus answered she got back to us saying I'm well aware of all that but he did nothing for the workers who have to use the toll to go to work uh, and incur charges once again penalised for actually having a a job in this country it's absolutely mad says Lorraine Um, I I know you'll say he's a member of uh, the government a government party bank bench TD but he certainly made his objections known as did all of uh, the local TDs uh, for that matter in fairness Lorraine but thanks for that Tom says everything goes to Dundalk because Fergus and Jed Nash voted to remove our council the council make the prices on parking uh, that's correct uh, says Tom um, we'd uh, another text uh, then from somebody who says um, people are, are parking illegally all day in Drogheda once a, a month 
Uh, if you did, uh, you might get a, a parking ticket. You wouldn't last an hour in Navin with no idea or on uh, or in a bus bay for that matter. Why you have, we know permanent parking wardens, uh, William Street, people are parked there all day and even on double yellow lines. I believe there's two or three parking wardens uh, who are working full time. Indrada, uh, stand corrected if, uh, if I'm wrong. I'd love to hear about that. Uh, Jackie Taff in touch saying Ireland can 100% support the South Africa case taken in the ICJ. Ireland can support the ICG, ICJ ruling uh, of plausible genocide. Our government is completely going against what the majority of Irish people want. The Palestinians are no different to us and should have their own state. It's also dangerous for us and our rules-based order in the world because there's clearly a double standard that Israel can act with impunity. So one rule for thee but not for me. Why aren't all of the media outlets 24-7 covering this massacre against humanity says Jackie. Thanks Jackie. I'm sorry that's the final word. All we have time for lots more comments. I will try to come to them tomorrow. Uh, That's at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.